Today, we're going to talk about NVIDIA, Meta, a little bit of SK Hynix, Hugging Face, and then we're going to shift gears to Universal Display. And we're going to go into some technical specs here, and we will try to make this as interesting as possible. Nick, what news came out of NVIDIA's SIGGRAPH event last week? So we have done a terrible job of hyping our channel using NVIDIA as a means to do that. But we're going to take a stab at it today. But we actually thought that CEO Jensen Wong's keynote at SIGGRAPH last week had some highly relevant information. So Casey, as you mentioned, let's just take two news items that came out of that keynote. The first is a new partnership with the AI startup Hugging Face. Okay. A company called Hugging Face. What does this have to do with our channel, Nick? Let's show the let's show the logo of Hugging Face here alongside NVIDIA's logo, which I think is close to a household name at this point. This is where the name Hugging Face comes from. It's the smiley emoji with the hands. It kind of looks like it's going in for a hug. And this comes from Hugging Face's mission to try to make machine learning, which is a branch of AI, the future of software development. And they want to make it so because machine learning is a computer's ability to learn from past experience. This is a very high level definition, by the way, but a computing system's ability to learn and self-generate. If a computer has that ability to do that, it can greatly speed up the development process. If you can apply machine learning and then suddenly very complex problems like AI become a bit easier because the computer's helping you out, the developer out along the way. So that's what Hugging Face is. It's a platform where you can share your AI algorithms, your data sets. You can tinker with other people's algorithms and data sets. It, there's subscription services. There's a little bit of AI training and inference that you can rent there. So there's some actual cloud-based infrastructure that you can access. And that's where NVIDIA came in with this announcement saying that their latest and greatest AI training hardware will now be available directly on Hugging Face. So the DGX cloud, that's NVIDIA's AI training hardware, you can now rent directly on Hugging Face with a brand new subscription service. It's called Training Cluster as a Service. And this sounds a lot like GitHub or GitLab of AI and machine learning. That's probably a fairly accurate comparison to make, Casey. Absolutely. It seems the goal here is that not every business, not every person obviously can spend tens of thousands of dollars on these super chip computers, right? So NVIDIA is trying to make this as accessible as possible for anyone who wants to train their AI system. That's exactly right. Of course, we know we covered this last October, Casey, when NVIDIA made that kind of a quiet announcement that everyone overlooked until suddenly this novel AI service called ChatGPT came out. But it was actually Oracle Cloud that was first to strike and loaded up its infrastructure with NVIDIA's most powerful chips. DGX Cloud, the ability to rent NVIDIA's hardware was first available on Oracle Cloud. And then we've had successively here, 
the same infrastructure and same DGX cloud access coming available on Microsoft Azure, on Google Cloud. Amazon AWS has been slightly late to the party, but they're also plugging this hardware into AWS. And so now there's a lot of other outlets you can get AI training infrastructure from. And so NVIDIA is just, like you said, simply trying to make this as accessible as possible because that's the whole idea of the cloud in the first place, right? Is accessibility, making it affordable, taking what used to be a fixed expense, purchasing lots of infrastructure, lots of hardware, as you said, these new latest and greatest NVIDIA systems, 20, 30, $40,000 a pop per computer, not very accessible, but if you had the ability to rent it, maybe on a per usage case, like a per workload case or per month, whatever your needs are, that flexibility can suddenly take that fixed cost and turn it into a flexible operating cost that a, especially a startup or a smaller business can adjust. So Hugging Face, just one more new outlet to access NVIDIA's latest and greatest. During that SIGGRAPH event, we also got news of a new version of the GH200 super chip that will include HBM3E, which is most likely from SK Hynix. Nick, how is this different from the chip that's currently available? Yeah, so the GH200 was already previously announced. So this is the AI training computer for the data center. I should say a supercomputer housed in data centers. So this new GH200 isn't for the training of the AI algorithm, but it's for the inference. So again, just a reminder, AI training is getting the new AI service ready to go. Inferences, once it's already been trained and now it's being put into use, let's just say you're using ChatGPT or Google Bard or something like that. You ask it a question, you press enter, and it goes somewhere out there into the internet ether to a data center somewhere. The data center processes the question, composes a response, and sends it back to you. That's inference. So a lot of bearish investors have, we think rightfully, pointed out that NVIDIA has a lot of competition in the inference side. They have something like 90% plus market share of AI training, as far as the market can tell at this point. But inference is a much more wide open field because you have a lot of different chips to choose from, not just NVIDIA, but also AMD and Intel. You also have custom chip designs from those big cloud infrastructure providers like AWS, like Google Cloud, that have their own chips that they've designed, a lot of them specifically for inference, because that's where a lot of the work will be long-term. You train the model once, but then the inference can last for years and years once that AI system has been put into use. So this new GH200 supercomputer is a new version, not for training, but for the inference. It's been optimized so that the inference is more affordable over time. So suddenly NVIDIA, not surprisingly, was working on something like this. They're not dumb over at NVIDIA. They know what the market needs. And here they are providing a new option for the inference part of the AI market. As was mentioned, the this new super chip will include HBM3E, 
memory chip. So this is most likely from S.K. Hynek's. What are your thoughts on this addition to NVIDIA's stack, and how will this affect SK Hynix? We always talk about Micron and Samsung as well, but SK Hynix also a giant, one of the giants in the memory business, and a really a leader in this HBM memory. HBM stands for High Bandwidth Memory. The number three stands for the generation of HBM technology. And then the E added to this is because it's a slight step up and improvement from HBM3. So HBM3E is a little bit better than SK Hynix's HBM3. How is it different? There's more memory capacity. So more data can be crammed into this thing. Some of the technical specs on the actual memory capacity are unknown, but HBM3 was 24 gigabytes. But what's really being shown off here with this HBM3E is the bandwidth per pin. So you have the data stored in the chip, but where things get really important is that freeway. As we often compare it, Casey, the freeway from the actual memory bank to the computing part of the system. And this is often where we get bottlenecks in a computing system is maybe those highways or those freeways are too narrow and the speed limit is too slow. So the step up from HBM3 to HBM3E is roughly a 25% improvement. So SK Hynix has taken the freeway and they've slightly widened it and they've increased the speed limit. So more data can be moved from memory into that computing system. and the real benefit here is because the memory is stored in the same package as the CPU GPU configuration in this GH200, that's where you can get the cost savings. This company that's maybe doing the AI inference doesn't have to pull data from a different part of the data center into the part of the data center that's actually running the inference compute. It's all there in one nice little package with this new HBM3E system. It sounds like this step involves a lot of advanced packaging, which onto innovation, another company that we've covered recently has a lot to do with, and we're going to discuss that later this week. So make sure you stay tuned for that video. Yes, we own onto innovation stock, very much a player in advanced packaging. Additionally, we also have been talking about LAM research as of late, and this is an area that LAM research definitely plays in as they're a key supplier to the memory industry, including SK Hynix. This HBM3 and HBM3E is accomplished via 3D architecture. You've got multiple memory chips stacked on top of each other. And then the through silicon vias are basically, you can think about it like you're drilling holes through the vertical layers of those chips, filling them with copper. So now you, you have a way for the information to travel through those layers so you get more ability to store more information in one chip. LAM Research, a stock that we said we were going to finally begin buying in August, and also, yes, onto innovation, which we will do a recap of its latest earnings here later this week. It was announced that two companies will get first access to this new supercomputer. That's Microsoft and Meta a.k.a. Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp. And Meta has really pegged itself as an AI company. 
Yes, it has. I wonder if CEO Mark Zuckerberg and company regret the name change to Meta and maybe something more along the lines of AI. But at any rate, as we've talked about before, Casey, we actually think some of this AI work going on right now is a stepping stone to a 3D internet, which is the long-term vision of not just Meta, but really all these computing companies. That's what they're trying to move the market towards, a 3D internet, one that more closely blends with the physical world. At any rate, I think it bears talking about how a company like Meta is going to monetize AI work using things like this GH200 supercomputer. This is where Llama 2 comes in, large language model Meta AI, which is an algorithm that AI services can be built with. This is going to be completely open source, so anyone can use it to build new apps. Meta has been collaborating with companies like Microsoft and with Qualcomm for AI on-device technology. So the question becomes, Casey, they've been working with these different technology companies to get Llama 2 out there to the developer community. How are they actually going to monetize it? Because it's open source, anyone can tinker with it, which means it's free. If you know how to use an AI system, how to use a data set and run it through and train an algorithm, okay, it's free, it's accessible. Llama 2 is on Hugging Face. So what's the way Meta is going to monetize this? Their plan is to monetize this by charging big tech companies, companies like Microsoft, IBM, Hugging Face also has this Llama 2 available when they resell the services that are based on that Llama 2 AI. Okay, this is really interesting to me, Casey, because this is where Microsoft actually, I think unbeknownst to most investors, makes a ton of money. It makes a lot of money by reselling services. You can almost think of some of these cloud providers like Microsoft as retailers of the virtual world. They'll take a service that another company has made and is providing and just make money off of the markup and distribution of it because Microsoft has this incredible ability to distribute billions of PCs around the world and now also all this cloud infrastructure through Azure around the world. And they can just push software through that ecosystem and drip on people and get them to make the purchase. So that's what Meta is hoping for. They're hoping that Microsoft, IBM as well, will basically just be their retail partner for Llama 2 once a developer has made a new service, a new app, and chooses to sell it via Microsoft or IBM or whoever. So interesting new revenue vertical for Meta because, of course, everyone knows Meta makes over 90% of its revenue from advertising. So both stocks, Meta and NVIDIA, have had a small pullback. NVIDIA Current stock price is around $437, Meta around $306. Which of these companies would you say is the better buy right now for your portfolio for the long term? So this is where things get really subjective and we have to be careful because it's easy to just call stocks cheap or expensive, but you have to look at the future potential 
And this is where it gets subjective because not even the companies themselves know exactly what their future profitability will be. But let's just look at one year forward earnings expectation. So this is 2024 expected earnings. NVIDIA, on a backwards looking basis, we don't even need to mention the valuation. It's ludicrous. It doesn't make any sense. But based on 2024 earnings, it trades for, at the moment, 39 times Wall Street's consensus for earnings per share next year. Meta trades for 19 times forward 2024 earnings. This is Wall Street's consensus, which I think is an okay place to start and then look at the expectations and see if they're reasonable or not. We're going to throw NVIDIA out right now because no one has any idea just how much growth this company is going to generate. The $4 billion quarter to quarter increase in revenue has never happened before. This is uncharted territory. And it's just, we think, inherent in this new AI-first economy that it seems like we're entering. And that is to say, simply put, let's call it not AI, but let's just call it automation. Everyone is looking for ways to do a lot more with a lot less. AI, automation-first infrastructure economy. AI, a $4 billion quarter over quarter increase for NVIDIA. What is that going to do to earnings in 2024? We have no idea. The biggest question I think at this point is, okay, NVIDIA is going to have unheard of growth for 2023. And it appears at least through the first half of 2024, is that going to be the peak for earnings? Or is that growth going to sustain into 2025, 2026? We don't know. So 39 times 2024 earnings for NVIDIA could be really cheap. It could be really expensive if it's the peak. Tread lightly with NVIDIA if you don't have a position yet. If you're looking to get a position because you feel like you missed the boat, just be careful. Fear of missing out can be dangerous here. If we didn't own NVIDIA at this point, we would be nibbling in a very small amount and using some sort of dollar cost average system. and spending most of our attention elsewhere. So contrast that with Meta, which trades for a far more reasonable 18, 19 times 2024 expected earnings. Of course, it's a lower valuation because Meta not really growing all that much at the moment, although it looks like their ad business is picking up steam again. They have the new Quest 3 VR headset coming out. Of course, these new AI verticals that they're working on with Llama 2. We don't know how big of a revenue stream that will be. And Zuckerberg's 2023 year of efficiency is doing a lot of heavy lifting despite the no growth environment for Meta at the moment, the company's earnings ramping up very quickly. So if we were looking to buy one of these stocks for the first time right now, we would be going with Meta, the top NVIDIA customer making what it appears to be fantastic use of these new NVIDIA AI training and AI inference supercomputers. Okay, now's a good time to pivot over to Universal Display. And this company has a couple of things going for it this year that could really help propel growth. One of the things is 
their blue emissive layer in their material stack. Nick, can you tell us a little bit more about this? Okay. Before I delve into that, Casey, maybe we should reference here two things. Our last video on universal display that gives a little bit deeper dive into the actual technology, but this is most definitely a semiconductor business because OLED materials, they're organic light emitting diodes. You apply electric current and they emit light. They're a semiconductor, but maybe I'll also reference our superconductor video. Uh, OLED materials are not really classified as a superconductor, but I think this is interesting here when everyone was talking about LK99, the ability to have zero energy loss. OLEDs actually do exhibit some similar traits if you want to think about it in terms like this. One of the beautiful things about OLED is you apply the electric current and that energy gets 100% turned into light. They self-emit light and there's zero loss through heat. This is important because this will help with power consumption and in fact a decrease of up to 24% in power consumption with their displays with the addition of this blue emissive layer. And this is really significant. Casey, we've owned Universal Display for quite a few years now. And every single earnings call, CEO Stephen Abramson says something to the effect of blue phosphorescent OLEDs were making excellent progress. And that's it. But in Q2 2023, not only are they making excellent progress on blue phosphorescent OLED materials, but they actually revealed that they sold about $2 million worth of blue material in Q2. Of course, that's not going to do much for the overall top line. But what's happening here is they're gearing up for large-scale commercialization of the full red, green, and now blue phosphorescent OLEDs in 2024. So you have a brand new material added to what's currently red and green, possibly a 50% increase in universal displays overall base material sales starting in 2024 and into 2025 with the commercialization of blue. That's pretty exciting given that the current structure of universal display is skewed slightly towards material sales. And then the company is a patent holder for OLED. They get royalties and licensing from their partners like LG Display, like Samsung. There's a bunch of manufacturers in China making OLED screens, but a bit over half of the sales coming from actual sale of these materials. And we could have a big increase in that starting next year. Nick, I know that OLED displays are primarily on phones at this point, some very high-end TVs and very few laptops. I think I've seen just a couple of laptops that have this OLED display. So is this an area that Universal Display thinks will grow and they'll be able to capitalize on? Absolutely. So this is, again, I'll reference our past video on this. This is one of the main investment theses at this point for Universal Display. The laptop and PC monitor market, for all intents and purposes, untapped at this point. They lump it into what they call IT markets. So it's PC monitors, laptops, 
as well as things like VR headsets. So Apple's Vision Pro, aka iSki Mask, maybe eventually MetaQuest products as well, maybe a future version of the Quest headset. So the face brick, those things as well. But primarily at this point, a big increase could be coming from this IT market, primarily PC monitors and laptops. And if you think of just, if you think of this from a square footage standpoint, the square footage of a phone is very small. So not many materials are needed for a phone, but then a laptop or a PC monitor is exponentially bigger. So if you suddenly have this wave of PC and laptop upgrades, replacing older LED technology with OLED, you have potentially an exponential increase in material sales for universal display. So you have the blue emitters, that's up to 50% increase in base material sales, plus more square footage of screens needed. That's an additional increase. You can start to see where the company returns to very strong double digit percentage growth starting in 2024. Management has not given us any specifics on this yet. By the end of 2023, early 2024, we should start getting some insight into what revenue growth will be next year. So stay tuned for that. But it looks like this early indication is this is going to be a very strong growth business from these two tailwinds. Let's take some time and look at the business model for universal display. And we'll reference the semiconductor industry flowchart here. This company falls into the patent section but also the base material section of the flow chart. But even in the base materials portion of the business is pretty asset light. Yeah, this is an interesting thing about universal display. The asset light business model, of course, inherent whenever you own technology patents and you just earn royalties off of it. But like you said, Casey, even the base materials business also asset light because they actually have manufacturing partners that they tap to actually make these OLED emitters, these base materials. And then they just realize the sale once that partner manufactures it and then sells it to the display manufacturer. Just for example, they have one of these manufacturers, PPG, a new facility in Shannon, Ireland is now open. It's not at all close to running at full capacity. Management said about a $1 million per month headwind for universal display. So that's not great. There's this potential for profit margin expansion next year as red, green, and now blue kicks in and this Shannon Ireland facility starts cranking out more materials. But actually most of the operating costs are being handled by the partner, the manufacturing partner, PPG. So it's an interesting business model. It's why Universal Display, even on product sales, can still report 60% plus gross profit margin. That's very high. That's something more of an actual fabulous semiconductor designer. And it's because, yes, OLED products get realized as revenue by Universal Display, but they're not handling the manufacturer. They get the higher profit margin from the, let's call it a fabulous design business model. Now, Casey, I've got a fun question. We talk a lot about business models here on the show. And one of the best ways to figure out which companies have the best business models is looking at operating profit margins. 
We talked a bit about this when we covered Super Micro Computer before the most recent earnings. And I called out low operating profit margins would indicate that Supermicro doesn't have all that much in the way of patentable technology because once a company reaches scale, if it has some defensive moat, let's say we're talking about semiconductors, that would be patents. You should have a much, much higher operating margin, something way north consistently north of 20%. This is one of the reasons we like universal display. Operating margins of 42% over the last year. And they've actually been pretty consistent at or above 40% for a while now, for a couple of years, over 30% for as long as we've owned the stock over the last five years. Once upon a time, I remember when LG Display, which is a manufacturing partner of Universal Display, was a hot stock. Of the two, Universal Display, the patent holder, the technology holder, or LG Display, the manufacturer, the assembler, which one has the better total return over time? What do you think, Casey? Take a stab at it. Which one is performing best? And maybe take a stab at what the total return has been for each. If you're right, this is a fun question. I'm going to say universal display, but I have no idea what LG display has done over the past decade. But I'm going to say the return is down. Okay. Interestingly enough, over the last three-year period, on a total return basis, LG display is actually beating universal display slightly over the last trailing three-year period. They're actually both negative, though. This market has faced numerous headwinds over the last three years, and it was the start of the U.S.-China trade war, and then the pandemic complicated matters because you had that boom in consumer electronic sales in 2020 and 2021, followed by what's now a crash, especially in the smartphone market. So both companies have a negative return, but LG Display actually outperforming over the last three years. But in every other trailing total return measure, one-year, five-year, 10-year, Universal Display is obliterating LG Display. So I just wanted to point this out, Casey, because I think it's one of those cases where you may look at the two stocks and say, oh, both of them do OLED displays. I'm just going to buy the cheaper of the two. But cheap stock does not mean fantastic long-term investment at all. Doesn't mean that at all. In fact, in most cases, it means it's going to be a long-term loser to the company that actually has control over the technology. Okay, so what's the 10-year total return for both of these companies? All right. So for Universal Display, which is a dividend growth stock, as well as just a growth stock, the total return over the last 10 years is about 350%, down a lot from its peak in 2021. So that's the disruption here that I was mentioning. But for LG Display, it's actually almost negative 60% total return over the last 10 years. So there's your cheap manufacturing value stock. These things we don't believe are a great long-term investment. Now, super microcomputer is a special situation. We could be way wrong about that, but manufacturers that don't control the technology, that don't have the majority of the patents that control the technology are highly cyclical, and it can be very dangerous 
buying these things when they're at a peak earnings period. So Universal Display, ticker OLED, we have been nibbling on this stock again over the past year. It's up over 45% year to date. Stock price is around 155. What is the market expecting for this company? It's a fair question because it is a premium price tag. OLED trades for, as of this recording, 36 times trailing 12-month earnings at that 155 stock price. So reverse discounted cash flow cases. Here's what I think the market has baked in as for expectations at this point. $4.35 is the trailing 12-month earnings per share. We think if we plug in 15% annual growth for the next two years, and then 6.5% earnings growth thereafter, and then using a 10% discount rate, that gets us to about 154, 155 bucks per share as a fair value with those assumptions. Again, we think despite the expensive looking stock price, we think this is actually a fairly low hurdle for universal display, given those, especially those expectations headed into 2024. If we get a rebounding smartphone market, and if we get the big upgrade cycle for PC and laptop monitors, and if we start getting some robust growth from those blue emitters. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a video. We have Onto Innovation coming up later this week and a very highly requested company, Skywater Technologies. We will have that video out to you this week, so make sure you don't miss it. Indie Semiconductor and Navitas also on the menu. We will see you here again soon at Chipstock Investor. Investor.